Hello and welcome to the Middle East Forum speaker webinar series. I'm Stacey Roman and I will be moderating this discussion today. We're pleased to have Rafael Vardahi, Executive Director of the Friends of Israel Initiative and Spain's former National Security Advisor, join us to discuss, must Europe remain hostile to Israel? Mr. Vardahi will speak for 15 minutes and open it up for questions. Should you wish to ask a question, please use the Q&A box located at the bottom of your screen to type out your question. And with that, I'll turn the discussion over to Mr. Rafael Vardahi. Thank you, Stacey. Uh, thank you to everyone for joining today's session of the Middle East Forum. Uh, if I take literally the, the, the title of today's session, Must Europe Remain Hostile to Israel? The answer is no. There's nothing uh, compulsory or determined for Europe to, to be hostile to Israel. Unfortunately, uh, Europe will remain hostile to, to, to Israel for different reasons. Uh, some of them can be categorized as historical and well-rooted in our uh, current uh, cultural uh, framework. Others are much more connected to current events and uh, political issues. So let me start with this uh, former current issue that will, will, will tear apart even more Europe from the Middle East and Israel in particular. Uh, the first question, obviously, is uh, the ICC uh, decision taken last week by the outgoing prosecutor Ben Suda of uh, accepting the Palestinians as a national state and members of the ICC able to ask for uh, investigation, prosecution, and indictment of a known, paradoxically, a state member of the ICC, the International Criminal Court. Uh, <clears throat> despite uh, the, the, the contradictions uh, legally, and, and that is a political uh, problem, uh, and there is a clear manipulation, it is also obvious that the Europeans are very well attached uh, by heart to the ICC. And despite all violations of uh, international law regarding this decision, I don't see any, any actions that will be taken by European major capitals, Berlin, Paris, and London, uh, against this uh, prosecu prosecutor uh, decision of uh, proceeding with investigation against Israeli political leaders and Israeli military personnel. So that is something that uh, will uh, mean a, a, a political friction between Tel Jerusalem and the capitals uh, in the European Union or in, in Europe as large. The second uh, current uh, problem uh, that will, will distance Israel from uh, European uh, countries is Iran. Uh, as you all know, Iran is in clear violation of the GCPOA, the, the, the so-called nuclear deal signed, uh, I would say, catastrophically in 2015 by President Obama uh, that never, never required from Iran to completely dismantle the nuclear infrastructure. Iran has been advancing the nuclear program, has been introducing new centrifuge, and now is in clear violation of the stockpile and also the enriching capacity. Despite so, the European Union has been 
deeply uh, critical of the Trump administration of pulling out unilaterally from the GCPOA, has tried to their best uh, knowledge and abilities to keep it afloat despite the clear violation of Iran and different uh, foreign affairs uh, minister of the European Union, including the current one, the Spanish socialist, former minister of uh, economy, Josep Borrell, are very much inclined to, to offer even more concessions to Iran. This wouldn't be important because Europe has obviously uh, very, very reduced and limited influence in the region. Uh, but that's in, that is important now because of the change of tune and probably policy uh, in the U.S. new administration. President Biden, uh, during the campaign, made clear that he wanted to reassume talks and negotiations with Iran. Uh, the special envoy designation is a clear signal that uh, the, the U.S. administration will try to reach out to Iran to achieve a new agreement. And, uh, and because from Washington, there is such a kind of uh, open uh, attitude to, towards Iran, the Europeans will try to make even more concession from the Americans so that the agreement is uh, reached as soon as possible and trade can be reassumed and sanctions lifted. Obviously, this is a, it's an aesthetic threat and aesthetic problem for Israel. And, uh, and I don't see how those trains are not going to clash uh, sooner than later if uh, the U.S. administration moves faster and forward towards a new GCPOA or GCPOA 2.0. And the third uh, current problem that uh, will, will present a, a, an issue with Israel and Europe is obviously the Abraham Accords and particularly the role of the Palestinian peace uh, process in the, the, the new dynamics in the region. For Europe, as you well know, uh, the Palestinian has been a, a central uh, obsession that without them, nothing can be done in the region, despite the evidence that this is a, the wrong approach, that Trump, uh, thinking out of the box, really moved the dynamics into the more constructive uh, uh, approach. Uh, uh, but nonetheless, also because in the American administration, they have some doubts about uh, uh, nurturing new countries to join uh, the Abraham Accords, the European will try to pull back the, the Palestinian into the center stage. And doing, in doing so, I think instead of uh, achieving a, 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 any, any possibility of a lasting agreement or peace between the Palestinian and Israelis, they are going to complicate even more uh, any potential uh, talks or negotiations. So those three issues are in clear conf confrontation with the uh, uh, policies that are emanating from Jerusalem, and they are not going to be going away, and that would represent a class of interest and a class of approaches between the European Union and, uh, and the Israeli government. But uh, much more deeper than that are other issues, which I think uh, independently of who is in government in Europe or who is in government in Jerusalem, will, will maintain a very critical attitude from Europe to Israel. The first one, we, we need to understand that Europe 
is a pacifist uh, continent. Nobody wants to kill and die for anything. And, uh, and, uh, and looking since 73, actually, that's, I think, the turning point towards Israel, looking at a nation that is itself willing to defend their borders, the people, no matter how, no matter what, no matter when, uh, is something that is not acceptable. It's not acceptable in a, in a, in a, in a framework of values anymore. So that is going to remain there. And uh, we'll see uh, much more critical uh, diplomacy against the uh, successive attacks uh, carried out by the IDF in Syria, for instance, against the Iranian presence, or uh, even in Lebanon, if there, there is the, the chance of, uh, of, of, of kind of limited intervention over there. So that, that's a problem that is not uh, just specific for, from today's action, but it's, it's linked to the, the to the core of our, or our system of values, which rejects uh, defense uh, as, a, as a means, as a, as a tool of the state. The second question has to do with, uh, with uh, the radical secularization of Europe. We don't believe in anything and we believe in everything at the same time, but we don't understand religion anymore. And uh, a nation that is defined, a state that is defined by religion belief, the state of the Jewish people, uh, is something which uh, very few can understand really in Europe. And that's something that we consider, I mean, we, Europe, Europeans, average citizen, consider something of an anachronism. Since religion uh, is, is not the best uh, adjective or uh, practice. For, for modernity, as we would like to live in postmodern world, uh, and and the third and is even more problematic because it's much more irrational, has to do with uh, with uh, identity. Uh, we are multicultural uh, in essence. Uh, we despise ourselves and we embrace everyone else coming from every corner of the world, even if they don't want to integrate like uh, Muslim radicals. And, and, uh, and we, can't, we can't really understand rationally how a people is organizing themselves for themselves and trying to, to survive in such a hostile environment as the Middle East and all the neighborhoods around Israel. It's something which is beyond our, our, our capacity of uh, thinking. Uh, and, uh, and as far as uh, Israel is defined as the Jewish state for the Jewish people, there will be a problem, always. I think uh, it's, it's something which is, is deeply disconnected from, from our cultural uh, values today, unfortunately. Uh, having said that, I, I think those are the three major elements and they, 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 they play out in different forms and then at different times. Uh, there's also uh, uh, another point which is uh, good to take to be taken into consideration as well, is that Israel for many decades was the smiling socialism on earth for the left in Europe. But uh, as Israel was moving from the kibbutz mentality and approaches to a much more pro-capitalist and become the nation uh, of the, the of a startup nation and uh, privatizations and everything, uh, the left uh, cannot see itself anymore represented in Israel, and that's also an element that added 
added uh, to the hostility uh, from the left that was in the very beginning after the Second World War, the force much more supportive of, uh, of, of Israel itself. And now we are in a situation where uh, the European continent is uh, truffled uh, with uh, millions of migrants coming from every corner of the world, but there is the risk and the problem associated with the Muslim population, which is becoming younger and younger, is becoming more radicalized from the countries of origins, and they are not willing to integrate. So there is, there is a political dynamic in which this uh, anti-systemic Im immigration against uh, the democratic liberal values of uh, all the times uh, are linked somehow to the new left, which is emerging in Europe, as well in the United States and other, current, and other places of the world. So there is this kind of uh, symbiotic relationship between the new left and the immigration, which are making much more uh, fertile uh, the continent for anti-Semitism, uh, from the different poles, uh, Muslim and left, and obviously for a more anti-Israeli uh, uh, criticism. And that is not going to change, I'm afraid. Also, there is uh, the emergence of the new right, uh, alternative right, or whatever you want to call it. Some of them are what uh, Daniel Pives called civilizational uh, parties, like Vox in Spain. Uh, but some of them in Europe are not so clear in favor of uh, uh, supporting Israel. Uh, there, there are some uh, bodies in the closet which are linking some of the members of those parties to forces that could be characterized as anti-Semitic as well. So that's why I'm a little bit pessimistic. Uh, about the, the current dynamics, because the, we, we are suffering a clear polarization in which the two extremes, the very left is linked to the Muslim immigration and the far right parties are emerging as the only two poles uh, determining the, the, the political dynamics in, in, in the European Union and the European continent. And, uh, and because in both sides are elements of anti-Semitism very clearly expressed, I think uh, Israel is not going to be in a better situation, in a better position to be understood, uh, to be supported in, in Europe. Despite the fact that I, when we look at the leaders in Europe today, I don't think there can be any, any constellation of a star which would be more supportive of, of Israel, from Angela Merkel to Macron or Boris Johnson. But having said that, I think uh, all have to take into account the domestic uh, constituencies, the domestic uh, problems. And that's why I'm pessimistic. And I, I, I have to conclude my introduction saying that, uh, no, Europe must not be hostile, but it will be hostile to Israel in the near future, I'm afraid. All right, thank you so much. So we have a few questions coming in from our viewers about why is there no religious stigma regarding the Islamic countries whose governments are informed by Islamic law? That's a good question. It's, uh, it's because, uh, um, you know, th there is this mantle of political correctness that is covering up its censorship. Everyone who wants to say it aloud in Europe, 
but because there is this this symbiotic relationship between the left, which is a powerful force in Europe in all countries, uh, and the Muslim, uh, it is not it is not possible to 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 say freely that the that the Islamic uh, are also based in a religion that is hostile to our values and our way of life. Uh, but it's not because they are coming along, they are isolated, because this censorship from the left, the cancellation of the free speech, uh, which is making uh, the, the, the problem more acute. Uh, and then there's also this, this creation of radical multiculturalism. I mean, oh, poor guys, they are coming from, you know, underdeveloped country, from wars and everything. I mean, they want to retain their values, let them retain their values. Uh, but that's a minority. I think that the problem here is this dynamic between the left and the Muslim immigrant, which makes uh, impossible, almost impossible or very risky because you 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 will face uh, legal cases against you. You talk about the, the problems associated with radical Islam. Thank you. So going back to your first point with the ICC, some European countries are against the ICC competences on Israel. What legal and political arguments could be used to oppose the ICC actions in the Israeli-Palestinian conflict? Well, I think, I think uh, unfortunately, it's too late for any, any legal reasoning because uh, we have been f feeding the ICC in the last uh, couple of years with legal arguments. Uh, they also were required to accept uh, uh, information and consultation from different legal bodies. Uh, Friends of Israel sent uh, our position, uh, and uh, it, it is it was clear that the, they, they had no legal basis. I mean, the Palestinians are not a state, uh, and, and, and Israel is not a member state, so they have no jurisdiction. But the problem is that from the former prosecutor, Ben Suda, it, it doesn't matter. Uh, I mean, the, the, they, they justified her decision on the basis that the, assembly, the General Assembly of the United Nations accepted the Palestinians as a non-member state. But that's ridiculous because the ACC is an independent body. It's not depending on the, on the, on the United Nations. And that's the, 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 the strength, theoretically, of the ACC. So it's all kind of contradiction. It's, it's a political issue. And no matter how solid are the, the arguments, legal arguments against the decision, it won't make any 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 dent on them. Uh, I think now what we should ask uh, the European member states who were contrary to this uh, action is to start defunding the ICC. For instance, we we should we should ask the the, the Germans, the British, and the French say, okay, you you opposed last year as far as July uh, this path. Uh, now they've taken against you, uh, you have to do something. And it's not legal, it's a political action. And the, the best way to, to hurt nowadays the ICC is to, to start pulling out the funds. Uh, without money, they won't do anything. I mean, uh, the critical issue here is that the ICC was paralyzed, uh, whether we like it or not, because of Trump's decision to uh, sanctioning some of the personnel and judges involved in the ICC. Uh, once President Trump has been removed from the scene, the ICC has openly uh, taken the decision to indict uh, Israelis, uh, which is a lesson we, we, should, we shouldn't forget. President Biden has in his hands 
a lot of power to redress this uh, decision. Uh, and not because of the Israelis involved, uh, it's because the ICC can, could go theoretically against American soldiers or against British soldiers or any soldier deployed abroad. No? Uh, obviously, the ICC is also prisoner of the dual standard, and I don't think they will prosecute any Americans. But theoretically, they open the door to do so. So we should also ask President Biden to reconsider uh, what kind of action the administration can take against uh, the ICC if they move forward with this. Thank you. And do you think that Biden will do that, or is that still up in the air? Well, I think I think we can make the case that uh, America is making herself vulnerable because uh, America has many enemies, and somebody could go to the ICC and say, "Look, uh, yeah, I, I need to open a procedure against American soldiers in Kandahar or in um, I don't know." Africa, or, you know, or French in Mali, and uh, uh, just to name a couple of uh, examples. So I think I think this is the a wrong a wrong door to open. It's a Pandora's box actually that could backfire against many. That's why the British and the French are so opposed. Not because they they are very supportive of Israel, but because they fear to be prosecuted in the future. Uh, so I think uh, if, if we can make the case before Biden that. Uh, they, in order to safeguard the military personnel of America, uh, this has to be stopped. We, we may have some, some case. Whether he will, uh, it's too early to tell, I don't know. Thank you so much. I hope, so. I hope he does. <laughs> <laughs> that was a great point. Um, do you think that if Netanyahu is replaced as prime minister, would that improve relations at all with Europe? Uh, Actually, no, no, I don't think so, because uh, uh, Netanyahu, who came uh, 11 years ago, almost 12, uh, as the bête noire, no? as a kind of evil, no? coming with uh, this kind of uh, aura of being tough, uh, aggressive, uh, uh, but nonetheless has been able to, to create bridges among many leaders in Europe, and uh, I think he's respected. Uh, he has been very clever uh, playing his cards in, in Europe. Uh, so I don't see anyone else nowadays in the landscape uh, so capable uh, to, to keep this ongoing process of talks and negotiations. Uh, I don't think uh, a replacement will, 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 will be worst, but I, I don't see any, 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 any way that they can be creating a better relationship because it's, it's something much more deeply rooted, not that just, just a political leader from a, a, a particular party, I'm afraid. Thank you. How do most European countries view the Abraham Accords, uh, where there is now new and improved relations with Arab countries? And as a follow-up, as for Spain in particular, how will the formalization of peace between Israel and neighboring Morocco impact relations vis-a-vis -vis Israel? Uh, well, uh, uh, I will start from, the, from with the Spanish case because it's a little bit easier to, to, to explain. I think uh, for for Spain, the Abraham Accord has been very has a negative impact. I mean, it, that's not my opinion personally, but I think it's the, the common the common denominator from all across parties, in the sense that Morocco has f felt stronger, uh, has done a move of uh, rejecting completely the sub-Saharan. Uh, 
problem, the, the Polisario issue that has been open for 45 years now and which in Spain has tried to play a role of mediating between Morocco and the, and the Polisario in the, in the Sahara. Uh, so rejecting uh, the, the, the process that was ongoing with not much success, but was ongoing was, was the, 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 the traditional um, diplomacy of Spain. That this has been over because of the Abraham Accords and, and that has been perceived negatively. Um, uh, but going beyond to the region, which is the real, the real issue, I think in Europe, the Abraham Accord has been a surprise uh, because in our mental scheme, uh, without solving the Palestinian, nothing could be solved. Now we know that, that we were wrong and that Saudi Arabia and others are moving closer and closer for two reasons. One is Iran, the threat that is bringing everyone closer. And the second is the, the, the abandonment, or at least uh, uh, the, 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 the less uh, in determinant presence of the US in the region. No? Uh, I think for some countries that we had uh, an economic link with the region, from France to Spain and, and the Germany, uh, I think the Abraham Accords are good in the sense that uh, we, we, we could increase our economic presence over there uh, without undermining other other policies of with Israel or different or different different countries. Uh, that's one thing. But the second thing is that we the Europeans felt a little bit uh, marginalized because everything was done by the Trump administration. And, uh, and though they didn't, they didn't went so far as to reject it because it was coming from Trump. Uh, at least they, we, they were a little bit resentful of not being informed, or being, you know, uh, players in this in this uh, dynamics. Now Trump is gone. If Biden uh, still support the Abraham Accord, we will we will go away with them. But uh, if Biden also put some breaks. Uh, and, and, and doesn't encourage other countries to join, well, the Europeans will say, okay, fine, that's, that's perfect. As, 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 as far as the Abraham Accords are related to the Emirates and, and other countries, okay, no need for going, for moving forward, which I think is, is a wrong approach. I think we, we would like to see uh, Oman, Saudi Arabia, Kuwait and others uh, joining the Abraham Accords because that's the way, best way to, to to move forward with the peace process. So if you were in charge of Israeli foreign policy, would you forget Europe, given what you've been saying about the um, small chance of improvement and look towards the East? Uh, well, I think, I think the temptation to go to China has been in Israel for quite a few years. Uh, but I have to say that I disagree with that. China, and we know now after the pandemic, uh, the game of Ch the Chinese authorities is, is not our game. Their values are not our values, and uh, and uh, and I think they are going for a clear uh, hegemonic domination of whatever they can. Um, the Chinese are very good and throwing you money and stealing your technologies. And Israel has to be very careful with in in investment from China in the in the region, particularly if they are related to critical infrastructure. And we have seen that with the Haifa port in the last year. Uh, but obviously, uh, I think 
Europe is very important for Israel in terms of trade, also in terms of cultural link, historical links. So I don't think you can say, okay, go to hell, forget it. Though you may be tempted to do it, but I, I would, I would, I would say, okay, this is a problem that we are gonna, we are, we are gonna go. It's impossible to solve. Uh, so we have to muddle through, trying to smile. Um, as far as the Europe is not able to determine the policy outcome of Israel, okay, fine. They can criticize that. They can whatever. But if we need to bomb Damascus, we will do it. If we need to, you know take out a general or a scientist in Iran who will do it. Uh, Europe, the good thing for, for Israel is that Europe cannot veto anything done or thought by Israel. So you have to, to be, okay, in good terms, you you need to be in good terms in order to keeping the, the exports and uh, keeping the trade open. Uh, and that's a limited approach. I think uh, it's, it's, it would be my recommendation. Forget about the, the, the rhetoric and try to improve uh, the practical issues, which are many between Europe and, and Israel, despite all the problems. Thank you. And uh, real quick, can you comment on what the future of NATO would be? Future of NATO? Uh, well, that's a, that's, a, that's a good question. I don't know, sincerely, I think, uh, I think uh, President Trump was was right pointing out the lack of defense effort by Europeans. Uh, the Europeans has been living in a kind of paradise since the 90s, uh, after the, the, the fall of uh, the Soviet Union. Now we have Putin uh, playing his, his games. But at the same time, if you ask me, do you fear an invasion of the tanks from the uh, Russian army? No. Uh, I, I will be much, very much concerned with uh, intervention if electoral process in the in the creation of fake news, in the political intervention in, in the democracies, uh, and I will be much more, much more concerned than with Russia with China. So, it, NATO is able to shift direction, moving from Russia again. Um, open up to the world and the realistic challenges, which are Iran and China in the, the, the midterm. Uh, I don't see it. I think that the, the approaches from countries in the, the Baltics to the Mediterranean are too far diverse to come with a common strategic and sound vision. We saw that after the, 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 the 90s, uh, and we have progressed very little in, in in creating this strategic approach, which could be has to be global in some sense. So NATO, as any other organization, will remain in place, uh, but probably with a very, very marginal role in the, in the near future. It's not going to, have to take a leading role in cybersecurity. And it's not going to take a role in fighting the pandemic. And I don't see NATO playing with China, despite some of the comments done by the Secretary General. So just a marginal uh, organization, I'm afraid. Well, thank you so much. And before we head out, would you mind telling our viewers where we could find some more information on your work? Uh, yeah, uh, uh, I think from Friends of Israel Initiative, we are very much concerned with Iran. I think the, the Iranian nuclear ambitions are there. 
the possibility that the U.S. administration will lift some sanctions in the near future, in the coming months, uh, open up a terrible perspective, and they will be able to move even faster to a nuclear, not a nuclear bomb, but to an, a small nuclear arsenal, and that will change the whole equation in the world. Uh, so I think we need to keep an eye and, and keep the, the strategy of maximum pressure in the coming week if we want to succeed on that. And the second thing, we, we are very concerned with the lawfare uh, opened by the ICC, and we need to, to put the pressure on them that uh, this is the wrong thing to do legally, politically, and morally. And I think that in, the, in the coming months, those two issues are more than enough to, to, to swallow, <laughs> I'm afraid. Right, well, thank you so much. We've come to the close of our webinar. Thank you again, Mr. Bardahi, for joining us today. Thank you to you. Thank you to everyone. Thanks. And for our viewers, please join us Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern for an update with Ashley Perry. Thank you all for joining us, and I hope you have a wonderful day.